Welcome, everybody, into the July 18th edition of the Locked On Lease podcast, which I believe, David, is the 500th episode of the Locked On Lease podcast. You came in about halfway through, a little more than halfway through, but I've been there the whole 500 apps, and I'm surprised that we got this far, man. It's actually insane, 500 episodes. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that. But more importantly, a couple of signings made over the weekend. Pierre Engvall signing an extension, avoiding arbitration. And then they bring in Callie Yarncroke on a four-year contract. So we'll talk about those two ads and maybe what that signals for the Maple Leafs going forward. Also, Matthew Nyes killing it at development camps. We'll chat about that as well on today's 500th edition of the Locked on Leafs podcast. Your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome into the Locked On Leafs podcast, one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother on TSN's Overdrive and TSN 1050's Leafs Lunch. Joining me, it's my co-host, Dave Morissuti from Sportsnet, also a writer for the NHLPA. Locked On Leafs is a daily Maple Leafs-centric podcast, which now has produced 500 episodes, David. This is episode... 500. So for those who uh, have have been here for the long run, to those who just maybe this is your first time tuning into the show, thank you so much for giving us a shot. Uh, we do podcasts each and every day throughout the season, and uh, at least three days a week throughout the off season. We're gonna drop the three days a week starting next week, but still some stuff to go through this week on the podcast. Um, you can also catch it via video form uh, up on YouTube, and then audio form wherever you get your podcast from. All right, Dave. Well, um, geez. I mean, you when did you come around? You got you got here what February you started uh about February beginning of February, yeah. Yeah, February or so. So you've been in it for the last couple of months. I got in it before Sheldon Keith. Mike Babcock was still the head coach of the Maple Leafs wow. when I started this podcast. And uh here we are. We've made it five hundred episodes. I'd like to thank everyone, I guess, for for tuning in. Um, and also everybody who's joined as a guest along the way. Uh, so pretty sweet. Also, special shout out to Andrew Zuber, the Zoobs, who was the original co-host uh, with me when we first started this podcast. So shout out to him. Recently had a kid, married, and uh, so he's got he's busy, busy, busy man. Uh, but you and I got the reins from here on out, and we got a little bit of juice to uh, to to squeeze out of from Leafs Nation from this past weekend. Before we get into it, though, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, Bet Online has it covered with this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. All right, David. Um, so the Leafs went into the weekend with a little bit of cap space and come out with basically zero cap space and are actually over the cap uh, as we sit here right now which means there's going to be some movement of some kind. Somebody is going to get traded. It's just a matter of who. We'll get into that in a little in a little bit. Why don't we talk about the players who uh, who signed over the weekend? We'll start with Callie Yarncroke, though, because he signed as a free agent Friday. Four years, $2.1 million per season. Um, last year was a guy who was 
picked off, uh, picked up in the expansion draft to Seattle, and then was traded to Calgary. Um, but a pretty solid, you know, versatile piece. He can play wing, he can play center, very good defensively. Could chip in a little bit of offense. What'd you think of the of the uh, signing, Dave? Yeah, I was a little surprised to see him get four years, but then uh, I heard, I can't remember where I saw, it, but somebody said that he had interest from other teams, and that's what kind of made the four years the the sticking point for the Leafs in this. And <clears throat> of course, people mentioned the Kyle Dubas uh, connections. He used to represent him as an agent. So there was some uh, history between these guys. And uh, Dubas, I think, also tried to pick him up at some point at the trade deadline. I don't know if it was this year's trade deadline. It might have been. I so, did hear that. Was, that, was, that was potentially could have been the case. It would have made sense. A depth forward yeah. for, these, for the club would have made some sense. Yeah, and I, I mean, just reading a lot of uh, what the you know analytics people have been saying, very good defensive player. Offensively, and eh, like the last few years hasn't really been the best offensive player, but at the same time, he's not really been put into offensive situations. So he's a guy who thrives on defense. Uh, you know, the Leafs. I feel like they're doing something very similar. Uh, with what they have, we'll have with Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman leaves for just over $5 million. What the Leafs do, they reinvest in that and grab a bunch of guys in different spots. Ely McKay leaves for about 4.75. Let's bring in a couple of guys you know, that can kind of fill in that role that Ely McKay have left. And I, the thing that you mentioned, like about uh, Kelly Yarncroke, is that he can also play center. Yeah. And the Leafs have really missed, you know, they've had right guys shot, right shots at that. What was that? He's a right shot center at that. So kind of yeah. like, you know, what you could send out Jason Spezza, who's a right shot center. He's right. gone. So you're also doing that, right? So you're getting – there's some versatility in this player. I don't think people realize how important that is. Like when you're sending a guy who's going to take a face off on a strong side on a certain po- no, spot on the ice. Yeah. That's why Jason Spezza was put into certain situations because, A, he was good on the draws. And B, he was a right shot. So, yeah, I didn't even consider that at first. So, yeah, just a lot of projections are saying he's a guy that's very smart, isn't going to be taking a lot of penalties. Um, so, and look, the offense thing, David Camp was seen as a guy who could not put up any offense. And he came in here and showed, you know what, maybe there's a little bit more to his game than just defense. Yeah, what he scored 10 times the amount of goals a year before? Yeah. <laughs> Technically. So. <laughs> it's all going to be said that maybe just, you know, see how this guy fits in with the Leaf system. They don't want guys to just be purely defensive. They want them to have a little bit of offense to their game. Yeah, and I think that he has, like, enough offense to his game, right? Like, you look at last season, he scored 12 goals in 49 games before going to Calgary. Didn't quite get it going when he was with the Flames. Didn't end up scoring a goal until he got one in the playoffs, but didn't score at all in the 17 final games of the regular season. But you know, as a guy who can put up anywhere for uh, roughly 15 goals, if you put up 15 goals as a third liner, I think that you're you're doing okay. And, and that's where I think that he fits best, is a third-line checking role. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I know that there's some out there that are saying, oh, this looks like a fourth, like the team's fourth-line center. This is the Spets replacement. I think it's more likely that he's the third-line right winger. And then you also bring in Pierre Engvall, who they extended. We'll get to that in a second. But now you've got Engvall, Camp. And Callie Yarncroke, to me, that's a pretty good checking line, like a good third line 
that'll be very defensively driven. And I think that that'll be pretty successful. And then each of those three can kind of count on to score you 10 to 15 goals a piece. Yeah, no, for sure. Like you're not expecting them to lead the charge offensively. You want to see a little bit of offensive production from that line just because, you know, it forces other teams to kind of think about that when it comes to matchups. But yeah, no, I, I think it's it's easy uh, when we when we look at where the Leafs' biggest changes have been. Of course, it's going to be in the bottom six because that's the that's where most of the interchangeable parts come out, right? A lot of contending teams are usually only making those changes to the bottom of the lineup. The top of the lineup generally will stay the same unless a trade happens. So, right, we, these moves aren't surprising me. And like you see, you hear some of the names. Like when I saw Kelly Yarncrook, I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. I know some people didn't like the cap number, but when you're getting a guy for four years, that's what it's going to cost, right? The more years you buy, the more that you're going to pay in the cap head. And a lot of the um, analysis have said that he actually came in below what some of the projections. Well, at 30, you could even argue it kind of the opposite at that point. You're buying down your cap hit a little bit by giving the term. So you can even say it's opposite, actually, in the case of a 30-year-old free agent like Cali Yarncroke. So if you're upset by the four-year term, they also could have done it, not only because there was competition and, and there was a bit of a bidding war process, but also, I mean, three years at 2.5 or four years at 2.1. You know, like that may have been the situation at the least we're in. So they said, okay, we'll give the extra year. He's only 30. He plays a reasonably sound game where we think he could translate for the next three to four years while this team is still in, in a winning window. So, uh, yeah, I, I I like it. I think it's a pretty savvy, pretty good signing. Uh, I wouldn't expect the world from him offensively, but 15 or so goals this season. He could kill penalties, um, you know, take face-offs if need be, right shot, like I said. So there's a lot of, of versatility to Callie Yarncroke. And to me, I think that he makes a certain player expendable. We'll get to that in just a moment here, Dave. Before we do, though, I do want to tell the good folks about – one of today's show sponsors, and that's betonline.net. It's your number one source for all your bet needs and sports information. Find all the latest sport developments, league reviews, and news uh, now on Bet Online. It is your continued source for all your sport wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, golf, and even Major League Baseball. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. Welcome back into the Locked On Ladies podcast. I'm Mike DiStefano. Got Dave Morissuti here. We are the... Co-host of Locked on Leafs. It's the 500th edition, David. 500 shows deep Locked on Leafs has been on the air. So once again, a resounding thanks to everybody who's uh, been along for the ride and listened to even one episode. Much appreciated. Um, feels good. Feels good. So we'll get to what I believe uh, the Yarncroke signing could mean for the future of this club in a second. But we also had another signing kind of come through yesterday just ahead of the five o'clock arbitration filing um list was finalized Pierre Engvall decides to re-sign with the Maple Leafs as opposed to electing to go to arbitration the number comes in at a one-year deal 2.25 million dollar extension for Pierre Engvall there are a lot of Engvall haters out there a lot of them I don't know where you stand on it I think you're probably in the middle 
um, where you don't think he's great, but you don't think that he's bad. I'm very much more of an Engvall stand than you are, I would say. Like, I think Engvall is a terrific player. And a third liner, I'm not, you know, maybe a quarter of a million dollars extra. Like, I would prefer $2 million, but 2.25, I'm perfectly okay with it. He's a guy who can, you know, play up and down your lineup if need be. <clears throat> he has tremendous uh, exits out of the zone. He's got speed. The the he doesn't play a lot of bully ball, which a lot of people want to see him bully people in the puck, given that he's a you know his six foot five frame. And he doesn't do that a whole lot. But outside of that, I, I like his aggressiveness with his stick. He's got a great stick, which I think is underrated and key. And Engvall is a tremendous, tremendous forechecker, back checker. And like I was saying before, Engvall, Camp, and Yarncroke, I think will be a tremendous forechecking third line, backchecking third line, a defensive shutdown third line. It worked last year for him with Mikheyev or Cash at times. I think that Yarncroke could come in and be just as good defensively, and they've got themselves a shutdown third line, which is something that Sheldon Keefe has always wanted. He's always really wanted that. Remember when Hyman was here? He tried so hard to not have to put Hyman up on the top two lines because he wanted that shutdown line. Well, I think these three can definitely bring it for Toronto. Um, and at 2.25, a hair much potentially, uh, but ultimately, I like Pierre Engvall. I think he's a pretty pretty quality player and somebody who they've drafted, developed, and you know are going to keep around. And he'll be a, a factor in this team's top six. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't uh, necessarily. I'm not a huge fan of Engvall. I'm also not one of the guys who really hates him. You're pretty much I right when you say I'm kind of in the middle. I like what he brings five on five on offense. I think he had twelve of his fifteen goals at five on five. So it's clearly a guy that can produce at five on five. His defense has improved. I get it that he's a guy that with that size, you want to see him get a little more physical, but. You know, he, he has always been known to be a finesse guy. His skating has always been his biggest strength. But what I think with the contract here, I think what happened is Engvall was going to go for arbitration. There was almost everybody was expecting it. So the least probably went to him and said, look, what's it going to take to avoid this going arbitration? He said, first off, I want a one-year deal. That takes him to UFA. And he's like, I probably want 2.25, right? the least will do that because an arbitrator could look and say, this guy might be worth $3 million or even more than that. Like there's a certain number that the Leafs, I think, I think even you mentioned it before when we were talking about this is that I think over a certain amount, like four and a half, it's gotta be. Yeah. Like it's gotta be up over $4 million in order for Leafs to walk away from it. Like basically what you're saying is it for those who are unaware of the arbitration process, if he elected to go to arbitration, they, the least still would have time to try and figure out a deal up until yeah. arbitration, but they would have set a hearing date. And if they wouldn't have come up with some sort of deal in between that time, they yeah. go to arbitration, they exchange each other's uh, findings and they make an argument for how much each other should make for how much they believe they should make. The Leafs will say, we believe we should pay him this. Engvall and his camp in the NHLPA should say he should be making this. And the thought process behind it for the Maple Leafs to sign him at 2.25 is, well, if we go to arbitration, there's a good chance that they could elect and find comparables in and around the $3 million range. It was the same reason why they elected not to sign to um, qualify Andre Kasha 
because they felt the exact same thing could happen with an arbitrator. So in order to make sure that they have that cost certainty, that it wasn't upwards of a $3 million awarding for Pierre Engvall, they kind of met him in the middle and paid him a little bit more than they wanted to at 2.25, but it's still less than what an arbitrator most likely would have given him. So that's kind of why we see this number being a hair above. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot. I meant to go through that whole thing. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up so we could clarify for those who maybe aren't too happy about it or weren't really sure how the process went. That's kind of how it goes and why Engvall is maybe a tad over uh, what you expected it to come in at. It's because he the, the, he had a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? He had a lot of leverage mm-hmm. and negotiating power okay. because of the arbitration. And that's what arbitration's all for, right? Is to give these RFAs a little bit of negotiating power because the least could have just said, oh, we're just going to wait and see. And then kind of leave Pierre Engvall in the dark. Ar- arbitration kind of helps push these along. And signing like this, in my opinion, is not going to mean it's going to backbreak the Leafs in any way. Like this contract, like anything, I, I always say like anything under two and a half isn't really going to do much for a team like the Leafs. It's when you get above that and then term gets involved. That's where kind of you get into a little bit of trouble here. So I understand a lot of people aren't a fan of Engvall's game, but you can get a lot worse. You can get many worse players than Pierre Engvall at that number. Oh, absolutely. You could 100%. I mean, remember Nick Ritchie was a two and a half million dollar player a year ago. Well, there you go. Like which which player would you rather have? I would rather take a third liner who is willing to, you know, forecheck, get it. Now, when I say forecheck, a lot of people, they, they want to see him go in and lay a big body check to separate a guy from the puck. But the guy comes in and he'll just like skate through a guy's stick instead, or he'll go in and he'll just kind of poke the puck. And like, he's, he just does a lot of good stick work. And a lot of times players, they'll try like a secondary forecheck. So they'll try and get the puck out. And he's got a good active stick to either break up a, a breakout pass or someone tries to saucer it across the ice and he can knock it at it at midair. He did that a lot this year. And it, that kept some, some more offensive plays alive for that third line. And, you know, when I look at that third line this past year with Mikheyev, Camp, and Engvall, you know, Mikheyev was a big part of it, and he's gone, obviously. But you just take a look as a whole at what that line specifically and what they gave up this year. Like, in terms of shot attempts, and keep in mind, this line as a whole spent only, had only 34% were offensive zone starts, yet were first, fifth, and sixth in shot attempts per 60 against. The only two forwards who had better was Matthews and Marner, and they spent half of their time in the offensive zone, 62% of offensive zone starts. So that is really important, what they were able to do, apply sustained pressure, and I think that Pierre Engvall was a big part of that. Does he show up and lay the body? No. Does he score a bunch of nifty highlight reel goals? No. But he's subtly effective, and I think that is valuable. And I think Yarncroke will be able to join those guys and uh, they should be able to replicate that type of success again this year. I, I do believe that'll be the case. If I'm going to add one uh, criticism to Engvall, there are times where he gets a little too overzealous to shoot the puck on the off the rush and kind of just, as they call it, it's almost like a play killer. A oh, friend of mine right in the buddy's chest. Yeah, like just shoots it at the buddy's chest. Like sometimes players do that to just get an offensive zone draw. Like I do get that. 
Angvall tends to do that quite often, and I know that that does annoy. You want to see, you know, try to cycle a little bit, try to gain a little zone time. But like, if that's gonna be if that's gonna be my biggest like a big criticism of Pierre Engvall, it's not the worst thing to be critical like to have as part like be a part of your game. I, I understand he's probably just trying to get, you know, get that offensive zone time, get that offensive uh, zone face off because those are continue to be very valuable if you follow a lot of like the analytics and stuff. I'll say this though, in terms of his offensive game, he had 26 points at five on five. 21 of the 26 points were primary points, so he's also play driver in a way, not to the extent of like a top six player, but 21 out of 26 points being primary. That means you're either scoring goals or you're setting up the goals. That's pretty good. Not too shabby, I would say, from Pierre Engvall. Um, but with these moves, like I was alluding to a, a moment ago, Dave, the Maple Leafs now sit 1.49 million dollars basically one and a half million over the cap as they currently sit and still have Rasmus Sandin to try and sign how is that all going to work Dave how do we believe that all of this could happen is there a trade that's going to have to come through is there another signing I I don't know how exactly they're going to get under this but why don't we talk about it on the other side of this break Welcome back into the Locked On These Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm Mike DiStefano, got Dave Morissuti with me. We're your hosts here at Locked On Leafs. So as I was alluding to a moment ago, you bring in Callie Yarncroke at $2.1 million. You re-sign uh, Pierre Engvall at $2.25 million. And now all of a sudden, you head over to the Cap Friendly page, and you look at Toronto, and they're sitting there at a million and a half dollars over the cap. Now, you're allowed to be over the cap by 10% um, up until the league year starts. So it's not illegal what's going on right now. They could even still add a little bit. They could still sign, you know, another player or sign Rasmus Sandin and still make moves afterwards. Not like you have to make a move right now. But between now and the season uh, ending or the season starting rather in September, a move has to be done. Because now at the point of, of the guys you've signed, at the prices you've signed, they're going to be over the cap and they need to figure out a way to get under the number of $83 million this year. Uh, David, are you of the belief that a trade is coming and who are those players that you think are most likely to be dealt? Yeah, this is this is the real tough because a lot of people are obviously pointing at Alexander Kerfoot as the likely guy to be moved. I'm not like if you're gonna put a percentage on that, I, I'm putting like a seventy-five percent chance it's Alexander Kerfoot. That's high. Pardon? That's high. That's high. Well, because he it's his cap hit that makes it the most obvious because it gives the Leafs a little more breathing room. But the reason why I'm also not inclined to go like a, even higher. I know 75% is pretty high, um, but I think there's still a case where you can move out a guy like Justin Hall. Um, and with guys being buried in the minors, you can make that cap work. I think we're, and I've seen a lot of this is like, people are like, Oh, what's uh Rasmus Sandin going to sign for? The Leafs have the leverage here in a Sandin, you know, signing. He's an RFA. Obviously, he doesn't have arbitration rights. Otherwise, we would have been talking about it already. So the Leafs can can take this down as long as they need to if they need to get that number at what they want. And I, I think that's 
why we haven't heard anything yet. Because the Leafs are obviously trying to get figure out that number. And once they get that number, then you're like, okay, what comes next? Um, it all depends on what Sandy's number is. And I think that will determine what move they have to make next. Yeah, because if it comes in anything over $2 million, that will put them three and a half over the cap, which means basically Kerfoot would have to be the guy. Yeah. Right. Or you'd have to play with with only a 20 man roster and then also move out Hall, which you could do. The Leafs have been prone to doing that in the past before where they've only carried, you know, 20 guys. But that was for the last couple of seasons where at least there was a taxi squad. Should things occur, don't believe we're going to see a taxi squad anymore in 22, 23, because, well, luckily the, the world seems to be getting somewhat back to normal. And if that's the case, they don't want to be traveling shorthanded. Um, so they would rather try and create as much cap space as possible. I'm with you where I think that Kerfoot is the most likely player to go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I believe he is probably the guy to go. I would even go higher than you. I'd say there's like a 90% chance that Kerfoot's traded, uh, throughout the off season. And I could also look at the fact that Callie Yarncroke signed. He does a lot of the similar things that Kerfoot brings to the team, right? What makes Kerfoot valuable is his versatility. Yeah. The fact that he can play on on the, the second unit power play, he can play on the penalty kill, and he can play on the wing, and he can play down the middle. Yarnko can do all that too. He's not as offensively skilled as, as Kerfoot, I would say, but he can do all the rest of it, and he comes at a much cheaper cap hit than Kerfoot does. So if you could get an asset for him, which I spoke about this last week, he was paid out on free agent frenzy day paid out a bonus of about 1.95 million as a signing bonus, which means he only has $750,000 of actual cash owed to him this season. There's going to be a lot of teams that would look at that and say, that's valuable. I'll bring on a three and a half million dollar cap hit to try and get to the floor and only have to pay him 750 K. That's very valuable for a guy who can play in, in your middle six. If you are a you know, middle of the pack or non-contending team, I don't think he's a top six guy at a contending team, which Toronto is. So for me, when I saw the 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 Yarn Croak signing, even before I saw the number come in through Engvall, that immediately said to me, that's kind of a Kerfoot replacement in a way. Not as much where I think he'll be the second line winger with the Varus and Nylander, but in terms of like roles on the team, he could fill in a lot of the holes that would be left if Kerfoot were traded. And that's why I thought that the Yarn Croak signing is a little bit more valuable than than some are leading on to be, because I, I I think that allows them to more easily stomach trading away Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, and like there are two teams right now that are not even anywhere; they're not at the projected cap floor. That's you guess it, Arizona and Anaheim. Anaheim still has quite a few players to sign, but Arizona technically has a full roster. Like, but they need to get to the cap. And I don't think that, I don't know if that's going to be where the Leafs will want to deal uh, Kerfoot. I think they're going to try to get assets back for Kerfoot, as you've mentioned, because he does have a lot to bring to a team. Maybe not to a high, higher echelon contending team, but I do think there are teams that see Alexander Kerfoot, see the type of role he plays, have the cap space to make it work. Um, like I even think like a team like Seattle would benefit from a guy like Kerfoot. Uh, just looking at the list here. Dallas has some cap space. New Jersey has always been looking for, you know, some help on the wing. 
these are there's just I think there's a lot of landing spots for a guy like Kerfoot. I just think the the contract makes it it just makes it a little too easy to kind of connect the dots on who on who's the one that's likely to get moved out. And I think the Leafs also just need to realize he's a year away from unrestricted free agency. Move the contract now, get some assets in return so that you're not sitting there watching him go to the Edmonton Oilers next season for whatever they're going to offer him. You know what would also make this so much easier to stomach? If Matthew Nyes was coming to the Maple Leafs next year. Because now if you move Kerfoot, who right now I would pencil in as the second line left winger. I don't like it, but that's basically who I'd be penciling in. And now if you do trade him, that's a big hole. Especially since odds are you're trading him, you're getting a pick or a prospect in return. I don't think you're going to get a top six forward in return for Alex Kerfoot. If Matthew Nyes had decided to return to Toronto, he would fit right there so beautifully with this team because what this guy's doing in development camp is just unbelievable. The one-on-one board battles, I don't know if you have some of the stuff. I know Josh Cloak was tweeting out some of the visuals. Maybe we can check and see if we can pull some of them up and see some of his one-on-one drills that he was winning today. But, man, they were good. And, and, And that's where I'm now thinking, okay, if they trade Kerfoot, though, who becomes that second line left winger? Is that maybe an opportunity for Nick Robertson to finally get get his his you know opportunity in the top six? Okay, let's take a look at this. So for those who are here um, watching on YouTube, for those who are listening on podcast form, I apologize. We can go check us out on YouTube, uh, Locked On Leafs on YouTube. We're going to show a clip of Matthew Nyes, a one-on-one drill at Leafs Development Camp, which kicked off today um, or this weekend. So why don't you go ahead and play the clip there, Dave? So Nyes is in blue, number 23. Well, what happened there? We are having some technical issues, unfortunately, with the video. Well, so I'm not going to be able to play it. Dang. All right. It's all good. I'll retweet it on the local. I'll, I'll, I'll try to add it in. Maybe uh, maybe I'll add it in on top as you talk. But if you want it, like, we, if you've seen the video, he's just, he's bullying guys on one-on-one. Yes. 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 Um, and that would just look so good with, like, because even, like, like, board work like cycle work type of stuff he would work so well with john Tavares, and i think uh you know jt and nylander it would just look good but he's not going to be here because he's decided that he's going to go back to university for another season so who do you believe if they were to move on from kerfoot who's ready to take that role nick robertson's probably at the top of the list no yeah he has to be like this is it's about time that we see him take that role because that's where I had him penciled in when we started seeing him put up 50 goals in the OHL. Like this is a guy who's going to play a very, you know, offensively driven role. Injuries have gone his way. I will give him that, but at some point he's got to find a way to overcome it a little bit. Like some of it is luck. Some of it also just, you have to find a way. Um, but yeah, he's got to be at the top of my list. I don't know if there's another, prospect on the list really that's nhl ready to take that role because that's that's where i i envision i envision it as a young player who's trying to make his spot on the team i think that's going to be the likely outcome only other thing i could see is if sheldon keith decides to tinker a bit with that top line and say maybe we keep matthews and marner together and we move michael bunting down to that second line why would they do that? Then who goes and plays on the top line? 
you find somebody you find somebody that can make it work. I don't like that at all. I don't like that idea at the all. The reason why I say it is because the second line was just that unaffect ineffective at times last year that you have to you can't let your top line be the only line really. I understand that you don't want to break that lineup. That's not my first choice. No, but that but I don't even that. think that's your second choice. Maybe not even your third choice. You got to give a couple of guys uh, a, a cup of coffee up on that line to see if they can get something going before you consider breaking up the bunting Matthews and, and Marner line. I mean, maybe Pierre Engel at 2.25, it'd be a lot more justifiable at that number if, if he's a guy who can maybe go up and play on that second line. And, you know, you brought in Nicolas Abe-Kubel, who is a, a really solid four-checker, third-line type of player, third- or fourth-line type of winger. Maybe you, you end up going with Abe-Kubel, Kampf, and Yarncroak as your third line, and then Engvall's that guy who slides up and can kind of be that type of player. I, I, that's something that I think would be interesting. He's got some good speed. He can break the puck into the zone and then just wait for Johnny to get in and around the, the net area and, and also can play a little bit of, you know, not bully puck, a um, little bit of a cycle game along with Tavares. Potentially that's a, 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 a an option as well on the second line. You don't love it, but yeah. it's, it's an option, right? This is why I just think Nick Robertson, it just seems like. Yeah, he'd be option A, I think, yeah. going into training camp. He is my top option. And, like, we're not gifting him that opportunity. He's got to earn it. But he also should be given the opportunity to earn it, too, because I. I think they were trying at times to play him on the third or fourth line and see if he can push his way up. And it's almost like you you got to put them put him in a position to succeed a little bit here. Like Michael Bunting, nobody thought he was going to. Well, there were some that thought he would work on the top line, but wasn't until. I mean, I he guess he scored twenty five goals this year, but you know, just saying. <laughs> but it wasn't until Michael Bunting was placed on that line in a full time role that we started to see the reason. Go back. I'm not even kidding you. Talking. This is the fifth five hundredth episode of the of the show. Go back and listen to um, when I broke down the signing because I went and I I watched his goals and then uh, all of his goals from last year because I think it was only like ten or eleven goals that he had scored in twenty one games. And I said to myself, I don't remember if it was either when I was doing my roster projection at the beginning of the season or it was directly after that signing. But I said, this is a great player to have with Austin Matthews. I think he can legitimately play with Matthews and Marner. And I was upset when he didn't start the year with them. And then ultimately he did, and they took off. And I was like, thank you. Because he's just perfect. He's a guy who's just is around the net, right? Someone who just went to the net and he could score. And all of his goals were either tips or they were just, you know, rebound deflection or rebound goals in and around the net in the same similar fashion to how JVR scored a lot of his goals. I thought that would work well with John with with uh, Austin Matthews, who's a shooting machine. Turned out to be correct. So don't say no one thought it wouldn't work. I didn't say no one. I didn't say not many. There's evidence on this podcast. One thing, and if we want to bring this back to Matthew Nyes. Um, it's funny because we're wondering when is he going to come? And there was a tweet from Luke Fox, which pretty much said, um, Austin Matthews had reached out to him a few times since he was drafted. And the pretty much the main tip he was giving him is, is to encourage patience. And it's, I give this give him a lot of credit because he had a lot of people telling him probably a lot of different things he could have done, sign with the Leafs, go on a playoff run or stay in school and develop. And the Leafs didn't for, they, they were trying. 
obviously they would like to see him come, but they weren't trying to force the, the, the issue either. I also just think he might just realize he's ready. If he has, you know, he's looking well in development camp. I would assume around that time, maybe he's going to have a better idea of what his future is going to look like. But I think if it's not to start wait, the year, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that you believe there's a possibility that he says, actually, screw college. I think I'm ready to go pro this at the beginning of the season? Well, I think it depends on what that conversation is like with the development staff. So he, I think he realizes physically he, he's got the physical tools to make it to the NHL. I just think I'm wondering if he, it's for him, it's more so does he think mature, like his maturity is that ready for the pro game? I think he's going to get that idea after development camp, whether that is. Whether it's at the start of the season or end of the season, I do think he will make it with the Leafs at some point. Yeah, all indication is that after the college year ends, they're hoping to have another Final Four appearance with him in Minnesota. After the college season ends, he will sign with the Maple Leafs. This typically occurs April-ish, and he's here for like the last couple of weeks of the regular season and then uh, a, a playoff run. That's the expectation that uh, we see out of Matthew Nyes. It's what we would have seen this year, yeah. and, but he decided to, to go back to school. Um, and it's what we're expecting to see this upcoming season as well. That's why when you said, I, I, I don't know, maybe we'll see him at the start. I'm like, you think that he's double se- like second guessing himself and maybe after a strong development camp, he thinks to himself, you know what? Maybe I, I do want to start play pro hockey and start my career. I think he's, what's I think right what's your percentage that he is in a Maple Leafs uniform on opening night? I'm going to put a very low of 5%. Just okay. because you made it sound like it was a lot higher than that, like you were thinking no, no, of a legitimate option. I think I think he's going to realize how close he is, though. Like we haven't, because this is the first time we're really seeing Matthew Nice with the development staff. We yeah, had there wasn't one last last year, right? Right. So he's he's his he's basically talking all about like the maturity of his game. I think it's close. But I think for him, he has to feel ready. And, you know, I, I, I do think, yeah, it'd be nice if he was if he felt he was ready. But that's that's a personal desire to because then it would make it a lot easier to fill some of these holes. But at the same time, you don't want to rush the kid and then realize, hmm, maybe we should have given him a little bit more time. Yeah. Yeah. So not expecting to see him, but we are expecting to see a trade of some kind, whether it's Kerfoot or Justin Hall. We do expect to see a move to be done. Heck, maybe Sandine also could be traded because his contract isn't yep. done yep. yet either. Apparently, there's some contention going on between the two sides uh, as they try and get that thing squared away. All right, Dave, fun show, good stuff. Got through a lot there, but uh, we'll leave it there. That's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcast platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Knock. Follow Dave at D underscore Morissuti. And follow the show at Locked on Leafs as well. If you are on YouTube, go ahead, leave a like, and uh, comment down below what you think the Maple Leafs should do 
going forward? Who's the guy they should try and trade out? And then who plays on that second line with John Tavares and William Nylander if it's not Alex Kerfoot? Let us know in the comment section down below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter to let us know your answers. All right, Dave, 500 episodes of the podcast in the books. Episode 501 will be back tomorrow. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.